This episode of Twip Weddings is brought to you by FreshBooks, the super simple cloud accounting software that's giving thousands of freelancers and small businesses the tools to save time billing and get paid faster. Try it free at freshbooks.com slash weddings. On this week's episode of Twip Weddings, we're talking about making great photos in less than ideal locations, from dark churches and cluttered getting ready rooms to harshly lit outdoor ceremonial locations and uninspiring community halls, wedding photographers are still expected to come away with beautiful images for their clients. Today, we're going to share some of our worst location horror stories and provide some tips and advice for making great photos in crappy locations. And welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. My name is Bruce Clark, and I, of course, am joined by my usual co-hosts. I've got Mr. Brian Capricci and Mr. Robert Evans here today. Good day, gentlemen. Good day. Hey. Hey. So what's the light like where you guys are today or where your location? Is it a nice location where you're at today? Yeah, for me, I got this beautiful giant like eight foot by three foot window here. So I've got my webcam positioned to get optimal light on my face. Although no one really watches the videos, that way I look as nice as possible. You look amazing. And Robert, yeah. you're there in your secret cave. Right. It's really just a black backdrop to hide all the crap behind me, just there. for, you know, clarity's sake. Ah, gotcha. So that, that's excellent because today we're actually going to talk about crappy locations. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to share some advice on how to create amazing wed- wedding photos, uh, even when we're confronted with less, let's call it less than ideal locations. That's that's probably nicer than saying crappy locations, right? <laughs> so less than ideal locations. But, uh, but before we get into that topic, uh, we want to remind you how you can participate in the show. We've got several ways to interact with us. Uh, first off, you can visit the website at thisweekinphoto.com slash weddings. Uh, there you're going to find the show notes for each episode, and those show notes will contain links to everything we mentioned on the show. Uh, you can also leave your comments and feedback for us in the comment section. Uh, if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic you'd like us to cover, uh, you can also click on the contact us button at the top of the page uh, choose twip weddings and that question will come in to us uh, or if you just want to send us an email you can also send it to twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com uh, and facebook is also where we hang out a lot so that's probably the best place uh, if you want to ask questions or meet other twip wedding listeners uh, just head on over to facebook.com uh, and search for twip weddings on there and join our facebook group all right, let's jump into it then. So I think, you know, as we would probably all agree, you know, every wedding photographer would, would probably love it if, you know, they could book all their weddings that only happen in, you know, beautiful locations, right? Robert Evans, right? A lot of your destination weddings are in these beautiful locations, right? right. But that's probably not the reality, right? A lot, a lot of times, you know, weddings take place in, let's call them less than ideal locations when it comes to the photography aspect, um, you know, we could dark churches, cluttered getting ready rooms, maybe harshly lit outdoor ceremony locations or uninspiring, you know, community halls. Uh, You know, these are some of the places that we have to shoot in, but we're still expected to come away with beautiful images for our clients. So today uh, we're going to talk about and share some of our some of our worst location horror stories uh, and provide some tips and some advice for making great photos in crappy locations or less than let's go less than ideal locations. So I want to kick it off. I want to ask both of you guys, what is the worst location or, or situation you've ever dealt with that we, we walked into it and you're like, how am I going to put 
lipstick on this pig <laughs> and make it look good. Oh, I have a great one. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Um, so again, I've said this before, but I've been shooting for 27 years. So uh, in the beginning, of course, I did not have uh, the most ideal, beautiful locations. And the last studio that I worked for before I started my own business, um, I managed the wedding department, but in two locations. One uh, was in the San Fernando Valley in Sherman Oaks in the Sherman Oaks Galleria. And the other one was in beautiful Palmdale, which is the high desert in uh, Southern California. And when I took that job, uh, I acquired about seven weddings from the previous uh, shooter, AKA wedding manager. And one of them was in uh, a town called Boron, California. And Boron is where they actually mine for Boron, which they use to make soap. And it is probably another hour past Edwards Air Force Base out in the middle of the desert. And I need to dig out some of these pictures and you can put them on the site for this episode. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, some examples. I've used these in a talk before and the room just dies when I show the pictures. Um, So I show up, you know, and and it just was kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies. The bride was um, less than skinny. And her little brother was just kind of crazy and the family was, you know, but that's okay. You know, not everybody's, you know, beautiful and it was fine. And, uh, you know, I try not to, when I, uh, have brides that might be a little, you know, it's their wedding day. I try to find the beauty and everything, but (laughs) they just kept getting worse. And, um, so the reception, let me just jump to that. So, uh, well, the church outside had a, it was white, you know, one side of the building and it had a the giant words of the whole top to bottom of the church said church on it. Um, And I think I was convinced because it was near Edwards air force base that uh, it wasn't going to get, you know, used as a target by accident or anything. (laughs) Uh, So they wanted to identify that. Identified clearly. This is church. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we show up, you know, we shoot the wedding and then uh, we show up to the reception hall, which was the local BPOE, which I kid you not, had overgrown weeds and tumble tumbleweeds right outside the door and then you walked into you walked in there and you passed the locals sitting at the bar um you know having their cocktails and the the inside was like picnic benches uh i think green and purple and white streamers and the buffet was uh roman meal bread and lunch meat <laughs> even still in the packages laid out and you basically just had to make your own sandwich. So, so it didn't exactly scream style me pretty. Is no, what not is what at all. It wasn't Pinterest worthy. It, wasn't, it was not Pinterest worthy. <laughs> it was that it was one of those pin, like, you know, where you see the Pinterest and then the, the nailed it ones where you see something on Pinterest and then you see the ones where you're just like, no. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that, and that day too, I, I got a speeding ticket going out there. So it wasn't really, you know, the best day of my life. It wasn't less than ideal, ideal. Right. Location. So how did, so how did you, what the photos that you came away with that day? Were you, were the, were the clients happy with them? Were you happy with them? How did you, <laughs> how did it turn I, out? They got me to smile afterwards. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, well, and that leads me to my story. Like, what do you do? Um, probably on that wedding and, and a lot of the weddings that I ended up doing out there in the Antelope Valley, there really wasn't a whole lot of 
you know, beautiful location. So I, I do think like going through my career, I look back on that and that really taught me like how to be creative and, and, you know, really make something out of nothing. Because again, I'm the type of person that I can't just do the basic and walk away. And I have to do my best and somehow make it look interesting. So the one thing that I did when I worked in those Palmdale weddings a lot, because again, most of the churches and locations out there weren't very pretty. Um, I started using the back of the church as my background. So I would open the front doors of the church, which were usually open. And then, you know, you walk in, there's usually a lobby and then there's the doors to the sanctuary. I would open those doors um, and I would put the bride right at the opening of those doors and I would use the back of the sanctuary as my background. Hmm. So I had a little depth and I had pews. And even if the front of the church wasn't that pretty, you know, that would all go out of focus. And either I'd use available light coming through the front doors with her, or sometimes I lit it depending on how far in the door we were. But by doing that and doing a little bit of a shutter drag, um, you know, maybe a 15th of a second uh, with a little strobe, uh, it would, you know, light up the inside of the church just enough and give me some depth, and, but it would throw it out of focus. And it was better than just taking them and shooting them against a, you know, a wood paneling wall or anything like that. And so, it, you know, it really worked and it looked it, it, for that situation. It really worked out for me. Nice. Brian, what's your uh, what's your worst, less than ideal location in terms of or most challenging that you've ever encountered in your yeah, career? I, I think I, I can't think of one instance where like things weren't ideal. I think all the time I have weddings that aren't ideal in terms of location, in terms of background, in terms of whatever, because that's the that's the that's the that's the joy we get to deal with as wedding photographers. Yeah. Like I go into the bride's house or the bride's parents' house or the hotel room where the groom's getting ready. And I can't say I want a North facing window. That's this big. I want sheer blinds. I want this. I want warm light in the corner. Like sometimes I can't control what I have. And so, um, Honestly, I would say at, at almost every wedding I'm dealt with at least one circumstance where it's not ideal, whether it be the moment isn't right or this isn't right or timelines are wrong or location is bad or lighting is bad or, or there's chaos or whatever. Timing is bad. I think there's all you're always going to have that. I, I can think of certainly some examples where parts of it were worse, right? Um, I mean, I remember one wedding where we, we went for the, the, the family photos, the wedding party photos and the bride and groom photos. We, we sort of, it's this beautiful area just north of Toronto. It's called Kleinberg. And, uh, you know, the, the bride and groom wanted to go there for photos. They didn't realize that they needed to have a permit to go and walk through the park and do all that stuff. Mm. So we get there and we were confronted about it and we couldn't go in. We couldn't do anything. So I had to do all the photos in the parking lot. Ooh. So I did the entire wedding party, family and bride and groom portraits in a parking lot. And this was a busy place. So there was cars everywhere. So I had to make it work and I made it work. In fact, I submitted that wedding to a magazine and had a feature in a magazine. Cool. <laughs> so it's like I didn't didn't get bad photos out of it. I just had to work my creative muscles and my vision a little bit differently than maybe I normally would. But I think it's that idea that we're never going to deal with the perfect situation that forces us to be creative and forces us to look at things differently and really underscores the importance of being a good photographer. And, and, I, and I think like not, not that I want to bring this into that as a conversation, but I see so many photographers doing these beautiful style shoots or these shoots where they have control over everything. And then they put it out there as if that's a wedding. 
I don't know about you guys, but I've never photographed a wedding that was organized like a style shoot, like where I had unlimited time, beautiful models. There was no stress. There was no outside influence. Like never happens, never happens. So I think that we're breeding a new group of photographers that get used to the luxury of shooting under controlled environments that just can't deal with the real stress of a wedding. And I think that's where experience really shines. And that's where highlighting our skills as problem solvers and as creatives and as masters of the art of photography, the craftsmanship of photography in all its intricacies of lighting and posing and positioning and composition and all of that, that's where those skills truly shine. Anyone can make a beautiful hole look good. Anyone can make beautiful light look good. Not anyone can make crappy light look good. So I think that's where the artistry and the creativity and where your skills as a craftsman in photography really starts to get highlighted. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. That's really what separates us and what we do from somebody who just, you know, just Joe Schmo with a camera. Totally. Because Joe Schmo with a camera goes into that same situation in the parking lot and their photos are going to have cars all in the background. Yep. Um, You know, I was, I was just actually second shooting a wedding just actually this last weekend and it was sun, you know, it was just challenging lighting situation. We were, it was an outdoor wedding. um, And then they wanted to do some family photos and it happened to be taking place in a campground. And so all around us was campers and trucks and, you know, everything else. And so where we were doing the photos, the photographer that I was second shooting with, she's very good. um, You know, she had, she found a nice spot but there was you know trucks and campers in the background and the, one of the brothers kept going well she's got all those trucks in the back. i said nope she's trust trust me she's cropping mm-hmm. all that out you're not going to see any of that in the final image and so she actually showed him something on the back of the camera and he's like oh right yeah. so they so that's when they realized <laughs> like okay these guys know what they're doing like yep. i'll back off now but you know that yep. would be the same you know somebody that didn't know what they were doing in that situation yeah it would just be trucks and campers and whatnot in the background right so, yeah well, those are, uh, you know, some, some good, uh, I don't know if horror stories, but uh, certainly, you know, I think we all encounter those kind of challenging, you know, challenging situations. My, I think my, I don't know, worst location, but probably most challenging, it's probably a couple that come to mind. There's one, there's a couple of venues in the city here that are very popular. One of them is something called, the, it's called the Windspear Center, and it's, uh, it's for the performing arts. And there has a beautiful atrium, there's a lobby in the front of it. And so a lot of clients love to book that to have their wedding ceremonies there. But the the challenge with that is usually the time when they're having their ceremonies is if the sun comes out at all during where where their ceremony is happening, which is usually around, you know, one, two o'clock, that the room where they have it gets completely split in two. So the grooms are all under kind of the shade and the bride and the bridal party are in full direct Hmm. sunlight. Nice. And there's absolutely... Zero. I mean, you could set up lights, but I find during ceremonies that can be kind of distracting. Um, so you try to minimize that if you can. But we have to sit down and talk with our brides and grooms and say, look, here's we know this is the place you've booked. This is the reality of the situation and even show them some examples like this is what the lighting could look like mm. in your particular situation. So if we can, sometimes we'll if we can have some input. Maybe we'll try to switch where they where they stand or how they organize things, right? So that's one venue that comes to mind. That's always a challenge, just because of the layout of the venue. And there's just there's nothing we can do about. It. There's no blinds that can be drawn. 
none of that, right? Hey, so. I, just, I have a thought about that. And maybe this is just like an interesting, super quick discussion that we could have. I think a lot of the times, um, I mean, maybe that's a dramatic example. And maybe in that case, we'd want to have influence on it being set up better. But I wonder why we as an industry seem to always want to control things. Like in, in the sense that like, hey, if that's, if that's what the lighting is for the ceremony, I don't want to try and make it look like it's something it wasn't. I want to like document that 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 was the light for the ceremony. And and again, like I think there's extremes maybe in that that's a bad example to apply this this concept to. But I just wonder it's like if that's what it was and if you're documenting the day, that is what it is and you got to work with it. Obviously you got to make the best of it. Um I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, that's a good question. I was going to ask both of you guys. So let's let's take the example. I think a better example is like getting ready in the morning, right? right? So right. sometimes we walk into these environments to where it's 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 chaos, right? There's just stuff everywhere. In the, you know, in the bride getting ready room, there's you know bras hanging off of the the bed. Like, do you guys just embrace the chaos mm-hmm. and try to hide it, or 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 do you you know clean it up, or like what? How do you guys approach it? I typically embrace it uh, to the point where maybe when she goes to put her dress on, you know, we'll try to find an area where I can, okay, let's kind of clean this up a little bit, you know, get rid of some of the boxes and the luggage and the suitcases and the whatever, you know, just so that it's a little prettier as she's, you know, getting dressed and the girls are, but other than that, like the room is what it is when I walk in and I, same thing, I just let it be. Yeah. So you don't try to control it at all you just embrace the madness and embrace the chaos yeah brian do you just same thing do you just kind of yeah embrace I, it? I totally i embrace it i think that there's so much that we can do um with with influencing it so that it happens things happen in the best way possible without it ha- it looking like it didn't actually happen that way does that make sense and, and yeah. i guess i guess like that's that's this is my perspective on it right like if you look at someone like dq studios right in the way that they do things I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but they, yeah. they, they'll come into like the bridal prep and they'll start they're placing their flashes around. Totally mm-hmm. non-obtrusive. They really aren't obtrusive. Um, but the, the imagery that they make is just like, where the heck were you for that? that that's an yeah. amazing image. That like, is really, really beautiful. Looks nothing like what I'm seeing here with my eyes. And that's totally cool because that works for them and their clients want that. And that's their style. They're making light. They're making images and they're making the best of a situation, even if it ends up looking like it didn't actually look in real life. So I guess that's just where you have to think about, do you want to be a documentary photographer in the sense that you're capturing things as they happen? Or do you want to be the photographer that comes in and makes it into this, not fairy tale, it doesn't have to be fairy tale like, like that, but do you want, do we want to make the image what we want it to be? I guess that's where the difference would come in perhaps. Yeah. And is that something that you get, feedback from your clients like what what they like or right? obviously i think they probably will see your style right and probably yeah. hire you for your style right so somebody yeah. who's hiring dave and quinn probably they that's the look or or i think of like lanny and erica they do a lot yep. of that two-man studios they do a lot of that lit particularly like getting ready and that kind of stuff they do some really creative stuff where i've yep. seen them put like you know they're in the shower with the groom and yeah. getting like these double reflections off mirrors and like all this kinds of crazy stuff um you're gonna hire somebody <clears> for that whereas if you show more of the the real life, I guess, uh, if you will, that's kind of what they're probably going to go for. But is that a conversation that you have with your, both of you guys? Do you guys? Yeah, definitely. Like, like I, I think it's important to set the expectation, right? Because you can imagine client, like clients don't know this stuff, right? They don't know that DQ comes in and puts these flashes out. They, they just know that they love the images that they see. But if the client is expecting DQ to come in and just 
be quiet, be a ninja on the wall and not not do anything, just document things. And then they come in and start putting flashes around and there's pops of light happening everywhere. Maybe the client would be disappointed with that perhaps, right? Or, or, or the reverse could be true. If a client is looking at my images and saying, wow, everything always looks so clean. It always looks so nice. It always looks so this. And then I walk in their place and then I make images that are not that, then the expectations will be sort of misaligned. So clients don't know the implementation of it. They just know what they see. So I think that that's where the importance of you staying true to your vision as a photographer and not always going with the trend of the week type of thing. I think that's where it's important because what your clients see is what they're going to hire you to do. And that's what you have to do. But I think it is important to have it as a conversation so that the expectations are aligned properly. Yeah. Robert, do you, do you chat with your clients about that? Is that something you have a, a conversation with them beforehand? Like if you, if you know, let's say you're going to a particular place where maybe it's going to be a challenging lighting or maybe it's the less than ideal maybe doesn't match with kind of what you typically show or your style. Is that a conversation that you have with clients to kind of set those expectations? I would say sometimes if I recognize there's going to be an issue, maybe I know I'm at a location where um, there's a lot of wide open space and it's beautiful, but if it's sunny out, i.e. this happens in Los Angeles a lot, you're at the beach, people are like, oh, I want my photos on the beach. But it's, you know, 85 degrees, beautiful, sunny, and bright two o'clock in the afternoon yeah. and there's nowhere to hide you know like you have to kind of explain to them like you know if i'm in a situation like that and it's later in the day i'll put their backs to the sun and use a little fill flash and it looks great but in the middle of the day 11 12 1 like you said then it's like kind of challenging or i've had even people tell me like i want the ocean in the background but if i put the ocean in the background you have to sort of explain to them i mean unless i blast it with a flash and match the light to the foreground or the background, it's not going to look like what you see to your naked eye. So mm-hmm. if I use available light and I'm just exposing for their faces, which is pretty, you know, then the background's white and you don't see that beautiful ocean. So you have to sort of meet those expectations, you know, or at least not, you have to let them know, you know, here's as a professional, this is what's going to, it's going to look like. So in most cases, I don't think a lot of times we talk about that, but if I recognize there's going to be a problem or if I have a specific request like that, like, oh, I want it all on the beach and I want to see the sunset. Sunset's another great example. You know, like in order to get a sunset, you got to typically put the bride and groom's backs to the sun. So you see and you have to expose for the sunset, but then unless you're going to use flash and fill it a little bit, um, you know, then it's not going to look exactly. I think most people don't care, um, but, you know, a lot of times when I see photographers shoot sunset, they use too much flash on the front side. And it looks a little more plasticky. Uh, that's a whole different story. Kind of that HDR almost type type look, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Here, I have a question for you both. Let's let's flip this around. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, you're at your favorite location, most beautiful place that you shoot at, and you love, and it's gorgeous. And uh, you show up, or photographers think about this. But this is your twentieth wedding of the season at that same place. What do you do? to make it look different each time do you make it look different each time do you you know like i find that in for me in a sense frustrating i really enjoy working at different locations different places having different canvases to paint on um but i remember one summer in los angeles i think i had like seven weddings at the beverly hills hotel now that's awesome but you know it there's same location same staircase where they want everything same so what do you guys do? Because I have the answer to mine. But what do you guys do to mix it up for yourselves? Yeah. 
Great question. Um, yeah, we have, there's definitely a few venues like that here in town. We have a, a hotel here called the Fairmont Hotel McDonald. And it's probably the most, it's the prettiest hotel in Edmonton. It's an old, it's an older hotel, but it's just, it's beautiful. Um, it's a Fairmont property. So it's always, you know, it's kind of a five-star luxury hotel and there's only a few of those in the city. And so um, it's, it's very popular. So we probably have, you know, three, four or five of those a year at that place. So for me, you know, there's, it's, it's a big enough hotel and I've, you know, been there enough times that I've found, you know, there's different areas within the hotel that'll give kind of different looks. There's a lot of areas outdoors, a lot of areas indoors. We'll go up into some of the floors and go into some of the back kind of stairwells that I know have some nice light. So I found an, like there's enough variety in there that I could do a couple weddings back to back and and do shoot them in completely different spaces in the hotel. Um, but when you get up to you know the third, fourth, fifth, sixth one, it be, it does become more challenging. So I might try. Um, you know, obviously things change like lighting, right? So lighting might not be the same during all of those, right? So it might give it a, a different kind of look. Um, I'll introduce more off camera flash maybe to kind of mix it up a little bit so that it doesn't look the same. So I could take the same, maybe the same hallway that we shoot natural light in and maybe we'll uh, flip it around a little bit and shoot more with off-camera flash and darken down the background and give it a bit of a different mood or a different feel. Um, you know, or even sometimes we'll go, if, if I've shot there a lot and I'm just not feeling inspired, there's there's places that are literally just nearby it that will that we'll kind of duck out to do a few just to give it a bit of variety to kind of mix it up. So that's kind of how we'll you know we'll approach it but yeah there is there, sometimes it's you can't avoid it if you're shooting at the same i had one where we shot the same venue like two weekends in a row at the same venue and it was sort of you know we kind of the easy thing to do was fall back in and just do the same thing we did the previous week but we exactly you know, tried to mix it up a little bit just for the client and also even for you know for us when we're blogging it so that all our you know weddings don't all look the same brian how do you handle that um so the location might be the same but the people are different Correct. And, and, and I like to sort of look at it more that way where it's like, yeah, sure. I may have the exact same wall with the exact same window to my left to work with, which I don't think is really ever the case where you only have one wall and one window to work with. I think usually locations, I'm thinking of a few that we use here all the time, like, you know, botanical gardens, right? It's huge. There's a ton of space to, to work with. So if I, you know, from the parking lot, if last weekend I was here and I went left, well, this time I'm going to turn right. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to try and go somewhere different, even though I've probably been to everywhere because I've shot there for 10 years. Um, I think still at the end of the day, the people are different. Mm-hmm. So if you, use, if you use the people as the thing that injects some level of different you know, uh, element into the image, then that can then inspire you. If this couple is like really goofy, then encourage them into something goofy. Or if they're really romantic, then do something like that. Or if you want, if they, if they, you know, the whole wedding party wants to do some action stuff and they want to move or they want to walk or they want to do that, like use that as it for me. And this is like even true when I was talking about the parking lot example, a location I, I don't really care about location. Honestly, I know that that's kind of like silly to say, but I tell couples all the time when we're p- planning out their timelines for a wedding, I say, honestly, like you may want to go to this like beautiful park. Cause it's like the park that everyone goes to for wedding photography. But I care more about convenience than I care about location. Cause I can make any location look good. And I think that is important because I photograph people. I don't photograph landscapes. I don't photograph the location. I'm photographing a person in a location. And so in that sense, the location is just literally a backdrop. 
Mm-hmm. So if I photograph, I can photograph against the exact same tree with a hundred couples and get a different image for every couple because every couple is different. Right. So I think that when you start to take, I think, I think we as photographers focus too much on that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, I was there last weekend. It's like, so <laughs> I was there with a different couple. Yeah. It's a totally different image. It's a totally different range of emotions, a totally and, different wedding party. And, like, and it's the first time for them there. And it's the first time for them. So, so yeah. I think if we just go into it and say like, yeah, I don't care. I shot against that, you know, maple tree last weekend. I'm going to shoot against it again. But I've got this couple, and so I'm going to interact with them differently than I would the couple last weekend. So I think when we start to look at what we're actually photographing, which is people, um, all the other stuff kind of, in a way, fades into the background. Yeah. I think what you guys said, you know, I, I could duplicate all of that. And uh, I think for me, the one thing, and I think it's always important to do this no matter what we're doing, is, is if you're there at the same location a lot, but make sure you take the time to shoot for yourself as well. Yes, I go to the Beverly Hills Hotel. Everybody wants a picture on the beautiful staircase. And I do it because I know that's what my clients mm-hmm. like. But then I try to find six other ways to do it. Put the bridal party down at the bottom in the center and shoot down or put them up on the railings and I go down and shoot up or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, really like challenge yourself to not get stuck in the same rut and do the same things. Yes, there might be a few shots that, you know, are, are the winners that everybody wants to see. But it's really about shooting for yourself and challenging yourself not to do the same thing every time. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing too, just as like a quick side note to that is like every time if I go to the same park two weekends in a row, the chance of it being the exact same time of the day is pretty unlikely because a couple right. may have the ceremony at noon versus the other may have it at three. So the lighting has a huge impact on what the location looks like and where I might go that day for that lighting and even if it is the exact same time of the day maybe today is cloudy last week was sunny well my choice of location and backdrops will be different based on what the light is so i think if we start paying attention to not only the people but the light and where mm-hmm. the good light is that's different every day so oh, yeah. so that's how you can kind of get some uniqueness built into things yeah there can be the same you know the same location uh might look great one day and you go back to it the next day and it can look horrible right yeah, like i know totally. this one spot that we like to go to it's kind of this tunnel of trees and if it's if it's a bit of an overcast day uh you know it can look beautiful inside there but if it's really harsh sun it can be really dappled light in there and it can just look awful so one location one day might just be the worst location the next day right totally yeah totally what do you guys feel about about pre-scouting i um i used to pre-scout a lot um before weddings i think when i was early in my career the first couple of years i would go and i would pre-scout a location and i i've kind of i've gotten away from that now i don't i don't pre-scout anymore um, I kind of like the challenge a little bit of, of having to create kind of on the day, but I find what, what I found with pre-scouting is it kind of boxed me into, okay, I'm going to do this here and this here and this here. And then I showed up on the wedding day and it all went for not because the weather was, <laughs> the lighting was different or whatever. But then now I was like, I felt I was more paralyzed because I had already had these preconceived ideas of what I was going to do that day. Do you guys, do you guys pre-scout uh, much anymore these days or do you, do you find that? If I do it, it's, you know, 30 minutes before my start time and I'll get and walk a property and just kind of see. But and just like you said, the lighting changes. But you know what else changes when you pre-scout is you're like, oh, look at this beautiful lawn. I'm going to shoot everything. And you show up and that's where the reception's going to be. And there's tables and you're like, oh, well, that kills that idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, that happens a lot. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've only done it a few times if it's super important to my client. But otherwise, I do tell them, you know, if I haven't worked there before, I'll show up. Uh, you know, 30 minutes before, you know, I'm coming up the room to shoot, getting ready and I'll walk around. And even then from the, from getting ready to 
Maybe the time you shoot your couple, the lights changed, Yeah, you know, in certain areas. Or even then you look at something like, oh, this location's great. And you get up and, oh, there's a bar there now. Or, you know, so, you know, I tell my couples too, I'm very upfront with that. I, you know, and I think honestly, most photographers do this, but I say, yeah, I make it up as I go. Cause I do, I'm mm-hmm. sort of inspired by the light. I'm inspired by my people and, uh, you know, their personalities and reactions. And, you know, Brian mentioned that they have a goofy couple and, you know, or what about that couple that no matter what they do, they're like totally in love and they make the puppy eyes at each other and how they touch each other. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't go wrong. All I have to do is just point the camera at these people and not say anything to them all day. And I'm going to take amazing images. So, you know, but that's how I treat the pre-scout. Yeah, Brian. Well, and the, and the other thing, too, like um, like Robert, about what you just said, what if you were to pre-scout something and then, and I think photographers get, they, they run into this, they pre-scout something, or even if it's like right before, right, you're getting ready with the bride and then you go upstairs to look where you're going to photograph. You go up there, you sort of, you define this little box and then you're almost ignorant to anything else that's outside of that box, right? Like, right. It's, it's, like al- it's almost like, right? like, yeah, like you're not going to see the beautiful light coming in this other window because you're kind of beamlined to, to this location that you had already pre-decided you were going to go to. So you end up not being spontaneous or being able to use your creative vision to make an image that is the best because you've predefined the box for yourself. Right. Um, I think, I think like the way that I do it, um, there's, there's like, there's two sides of it. I think we just, again, summarizing even what you guys are saying. Number one, from the very practical side of it, the idea of location scouting puts the emphasis on the location. I don't care about the location. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not photographing the location by itself. So why would I want to go look at a park at a different time of the day with no people in it that I'm going to be photographing the day of the wedding? It's completely uncontextual to what I'm actually photographing. I need to see the location in the light as I'm photographing it with the people that I'm photographing in it. The location for me by itself doesn't make a difference. So, so for me, I, I don't location scope, but that's a practical reason. But the other reason is I find, and this is just then for me personally, I find I'm able to react better when I don't know what to expect. So like my creative vision is lit on fire when I have to think on my feet and have to be quick and have to react to things or have to look and analyze and be a problem solver. If I have the problem already solved and I'm just walking in saying like, you know, I've got the answer here in my hand. Let's go, let's go and now execute on that answer. It just, it's not inspiring for me at all. So, so my creativity will suffer because of that. So I, right. I shine creatively when I can problem solve in the moment and, and make things up as I'm going. So that's, that's why I, I never do location scouting. Right. Yeah. And I think if you're somebody listening to this and that really rubbed you the wrong way, you're like, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, I totally. have to know everything. You don't have to do it Brian's way or my way yeah, or Bruce's exactly. way. Do it. Go scout and go do it, you know, and be comfortable with mm-hmm. it. But we're just sort of giving you some ideas this is our of, perspective. of our perspectives yep. and how we like to do it. And some people are going to resonate with that and some yep. are not. No. I, I've even seen like first look, you know, so I don't even know where I'm going to do first look half the time. And a lot of times the planners are, where are you going to do first look? Where are you going to do first look? I don't know, but I'm going to pick that location about five minutes before I do it. And that's just how I do it. But, you know, you might have a different planner that like, you know, she wants to know six weeks before the wedding where you're going to do it. Or, you know, she's asking you two hours, you know, while you're shooting getting where are you going to do it? Uh, But for me, you know, again, I go back to where it's going to work best. We've talked about this before, but I consider location, privacy 
and light. Mm -hmm. But if I have none of those, I'll pick the crappy location like Brian and just come in tight and shoot faces because that moment's about the emotion. It's not about anything else. But if I can have all three, of course, I'll take it. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to ask one. I think we can have a separate spinoff discussion. I think this will save some of these questions that I had because I wanted to get mm-hmm. into some really specific examples like dark churches, like how we handle different lighting. It's I think it almost comes more to lighting. So I think we can have a whole separate talk just on lighting. But I wanted to, to kind of close off the conversation with you guys and ask, uh, how do you deal with requests from clients <clears throat> to, to specifically shoot in a look in a spot that, you know, is crap like this oh i want to get the photo over here like and it's usually coming from like the mom or somebody of the bride that they want this photo in front of what they think is this pretty like we've had this before in a hotel they think there's something pretty in the lobby and it's just this awful like in terms of locate of lighting and everything else how do you when you get those requests how do you politely steer them away from the requests I, i say would now be a good time and i go do it yeah, because I don't think that we should be steering them. I, I think and this is this is the thing. I think a big part of what we do. And I think a lot of photographers end up letting the creative side of what they do like the photography side cloud over the customer experience side. And I think we've talked about customer experience. Mm-hmm. I think the experience that we give our clients and that that extends beyond just the bride and groom, the experience, the atmosphere that we create is more important than the images that we make. In general, I think that's good because you can be the best photographer in the world, but if you're if you're a jerk, then you, then you're going to fail. Because they'll remember that over because the they'll remember photos. that, right? Yeah. The thing is, photography, and I don't need to to preach too much to this to photographers, but photography has a transformative effect, just like music. When we listen to music that we used to listen to in our younger days, when that music when that song comes up now. We're like literally transported back to that time. And we all of a sudden remember things back from that time. We feel emotions we were feeling when that song was popular. We remember who we were with when that song was playing. Like that's what music can do. Photography is the exact same thing. When you look at an image, if you have experience, if you have history with that image, when you look at the image, you're literally transported back to when that image was made. And that's how people have emotion invested in imagery. So if you're a jerk, if you're not being nice about things, if you're not giving a great customer experience, no matter how great your photography is, people are going to hate their photos because they're going to remember the experience. So I think it's important for us to give a great experience. So And I have it all the time. If a mom is like, oh, we should do a picture by these stairs. We had our wedding pictures taken there. And I look at it and it's full sun, looks like complete crap. I say, mom, let's go do it. This is important to you. Let's go make a quick image. I say, this isn't where I would go. And let me tell you why. Because of the sun, because of this. But you know what? It's important to you. I'm going to go make an image for you because that's important. Okay. And then so you set the expectation. That, yeah. After I'm done that, then I want to go yeah. back over here and, and take an image over here because we've got some better light. Cool. Yeah. Right. It's all but about I do compromise. It. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I can give you an, an exact scenario as soon as you asked the question that popped up. I was doing a wedding, uh, you know, on the boardwalk in Santa Monica between two hotels, you know, where the one wedding was at. And uh, there's only like, again, a beach situation. There's like a tiny little bit of foliage alongside of this one hotel to do family groups. And I'm like doing them in there. Well, the bride's sister's husband uh, came up to me and he's some famous, which I didn't even know at the time or somebody told me about it. His name's Casey Neistat or something. And he has like millions of followers on YouTube. And he's like, why aren't we doing the pictures on the beach? You know, and I knew somebody had told me he was some famous YouTuber. And, and I was like, well, because the lighting's not that great. I said, but let's finish these pictures here. I'll take you guys all down on the beach, you know, bridal party, and we'll go do a shot. 
you know, and so it wasn't the most, you know, the best light, but I didn't tell him no. I, I stuck to my guns and did it where finished my, you know, smaller groups, you know, the immediate family, the bridesmaids, the groomsmen. And then I took the whole bridal party down to the beach and we did, you know, a beach photo with the, you know, 12 o'clock sun and the 6,000 people on the beach in California. But I did it, you know. So, you know, you just have to kind of deal with it and, like Brian said, meet expectations, kind of compromise to make people happy. I, I think, too, if I can just, like, add one final thought to that. Yep. I think sometimes... <laughs> Um, I always have one final thought. I think <laughs> You're like Steve, Steve Jobs. There's one more. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes um, we only get that kind of stuff happening I mean, unless there is a sentimental or a nostalgic reason for something. I think sometimes we only get that because the client or whoever is surrounding the client, the wedding party, the mom, whatever. Um, they they're just trying to have they're trying to be helpful. They're just trying to 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 because they you know they think like oh wouldn't that be cool or wouldn't that be here or we went here when it was like winter completely different light and completely different something. I think our photos turned out so of course these photos should turn out there right like they're not doing it with an ill intent yeah. And I think that if we can show that we take control of things that we know what we're doing if we're showing a few images in the back of the camera here and there if the clients know the kind of work that we provide and produce. I think most of the time, if we're setting expectations properly, everyone around will just be like, this guy knows what he's doing. Don't worry about it. Like, and, and that's why, that's a big reason why I send out emails to the wedding party the week before their wedding. And I say, hey, I wanted to reach out, introduce myself. Here's some of my work. We're going to be hanging out together all day on Saturday for so-and-so's wedding. Um, just wanted to introduce myself, say hello, and give you an opportunity to check out any of my work so you kind of understand what I'm doing. So if I ask you to do a headstand, you don't think I'm going crazy because <laughs> you can see that I make you know decent imagery. Okay. So when I do that, then all of a sudden now the wedding party is aware of the work I create. And they're not going to be like, what is this guy doing? Is he crazy? Like, they know they're like, oh my gosh, this guy's good. And, and I've, I've had that many times where it's like someone will say something and the bride will be like, hey, like, you know, Jeremy, shut up. This guy, like, Brian knows what he's doing. You might think this looks silly or crazy or this is a bad location, but he knows what he's doing. Just let him do his thing. So I think when you have that confidence going into it and you're taking control of things and you are being the guide for your clients, I think you're going to run into that much less often. Excellent. Excellent. Good advice. Any final thoughts, Robert? We move on. No, we're good. Move it on. Excellent. All right. Well, let's move on. We are going to uh, we're going to answer a listener, uh, a listener question after uh, we want to thank uh, our next sponsor. Uh, we've got FreshBooks as a sponsor of TWIP Weddings. And so for those maybe who aren't familiar uh, with FreshBooks, uh, FreshBooks is an online account cloud accounting uh, solution, and uh, they've just launched an all new version. Uh, it's been redesigned from the ground up. It's been custom built uh, to transform how freelancers and small business owners can deal kind of with their day-to-day paperwork. I think we can all agree probably accounting maybe is our one of our least favorite aspects <laughs> of the job of running a small business. Um, I think my least favorite. Yep. <laughs> it's it's up there for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, uh, FreshBooks is a great solution. Uh, you know, getting started on it is really simple. Uh, even if you're not a numbers person, if you don't, not, you, you don't understand, you know, profit and loss and, you know, all those things that go into accounting. Um, FreshBooks is really uh, easy, especially if you're not a numbers person. Um, And the new version that they've redesigned is really built around that. Uh, It's designed to be very intuitive, very user friendly. Um, It's very easy to create and send things like professional looking invoices, uh, you know, in less than 30 seconds. It's just like if you've worked in Word, it's it's almost like working in Word. They've taken that approach because that's how a lot of freelancers send out their invoices, right? Is they, (laughs) they, they do it up in Word and they send it out. Well, this is very much like 
like that. Uh, you'll get a nice preview of what the invoice is going to look like. There's no, you don't have to deal with formulas and formatting. It's just really simple. You just put in what your services are, the amount, and, and away you go. Um, you can add your own logo. You can you know customize it with your own color scheme um, so that the invoice reflects your brand. And then when you send it out, um, you know, FreshBooks can actually tell you that your client has seen it. So, you know, if you call them up to, to say, hey, you know, where's my money? Uh, they can't say, oh, I didn't get that invoice. Um, you know, you can actually find out, you know, actually you did. And this is when you opened it. Um, you can, you know, accept things like online payments with just a couple of clicks. So, again, you can get paid faster, which I think is very important for all of us running a small business, usually cash flow. It's always an important concern. Um, so they're, you know, they've also got the ability now to do deposits. So you can invoice, you know, upfront when you're kicking off a project or a wedding and you want to take a deposit, um, you can do that. And then they can pay, you know, clients can pay with credit card right through the invoice. Um, and then they've also introduced a bunch of other new features uh, to kind of help you stay organized. Um, their new dashboard is really great. Um, we had a chance to look at the product a little while ago and it's, it's awesome. So when you log in, you can get really get a, a sense of pulse of where your business is at. Um, so you can sort of say like, how is my business doing? You can know at a glance, like what's owed, what's overdue. You know, are you in the red? Are you in the black? Um, you've got a great notification center that sort of tells you kind of what's going on in your business. Think of it like your personal assistant. Um, you can also, uh, you know, do things like take pictures of your receipts. And so you can keep track of, uh, you know, all your expenses and things like that. Um, and then you can also do time tracking. So if you're doing anything like the designers, that kind of uh, stuff where you're where you're accounting for your time or maybe you charge for your album design time, for example, um, it now has time tracking. So you can go in and, and track that time. So, you know, just, uh, you know, get ready. It's the simplest way to be more productive and be more organized and probably most importantly, get paid quickly. So FreshBooks is offering a 30 day unrestricted free trial to our audience uh, to claim it. You just have to go to freshbooks.com slash weddings and enter weddings in the how did you hear about us section. And then you can start your 30 day free trial today. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of TWIP Weddings. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, we've got a listener question and each week we'll choose a listener question to answer on the show. This week uh, we had a question come in from Akbar Saeed. Uh, on our Facebook group, actually. And Akbar's, Ak Akbar is curious uh, to know if, if we have any recommendations for places to sell used gear. He says he has a rack load of Pocket Wizard plus threes he has to sell. <laughs> I don't know what he means by a rack load, if that's like two or if it's like a hundred, I'm not sure. But what would you guys, uh, what would you guys advise uh, Akbar in terms of where to go to sell used gear? Well, if any of our users or users, listeners for our studio, <laughs> if any of our listeners are looking for some Pocket Wizard Plus, plus threes, threes yeah. <laughs> perhaps go over to the Facebook page and, and get in touch with that and get in touch there. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I actually think it's funny because I'm just doing a bit of like a sort of fall cleanup of some of my gear. I've got a whole bunch of um, Fuji bodies that I'm getting rid of because I just got the new X-T2, which surprise, that's my pick of the week. Um, and there's like, so I'm going through this right now. There's a ton of Facebook pages and groups. That, that are for this. And I actually think like once upon a time, five years ago, if you were asking me this question, I'd say go to Kijiji, go to eBay, go to Amazon, do those kinds of things because you can sell used gear on there. Like you can say, hey, this is the, you know, Canon 5D Mark III on Amazon. I want to sell a used version of this. And anyone looking for the Canon 5D Mark III could see, oh, hey, Brian has a used one. I'll buy it from him. Mm -hmm. So you can still do that if you want. But 
there's so many communities of photographers out there that are actually just made for selling and buying gear that I've had a great experience getting rid of stuff and buying stuff from there um, because it's targeted just for that. So I would just like literally search photographer buy slash sell, go join a bunch of groups and post them up in there because that's what they're there for. Yep. Yeah, that's been my yeah. experience. Robert, how about you? Any other sp- well, I mean, again, there's the also there's the Craigslist, you know, which is yeah. the easy if you have Craigslist in your area. I mean, the thing about Craigslist is you just have to deal with flaky people and, you know, driving to meet people and all those things. But I've had pretty good success with it. Um, met some really nice people. Um, and, you know, you get your cash when you want it. And so, I mean, there is that you could always try Craigslist. But I've also uh sold a few things in groups like that that's worked pretty well for me as well yeah do you think um have you guys ever tried approaching like uh photography schools or institutions to see if they ever need that's a stuff? good idea I've, I've never thought about that no yeah i thought about that maybe yeah. that if it was still like current I, and good maybe I some feel like there's probably a lot more like red tape across when you go through things like that because then they got to get approvals for financing and that sort of thing yeah or you could donate it you know you could donate it to schools and maybe that old body's only worth $500 cash, but you could get a $750 receipt for the donation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just depends on what you need. You know, if you want the write off or you need the cash quickly to upgrade to something different. Yep. A couple of other people in as the, a fire starter. Yeah. You know, right. A couple other people in the Facebook group suggested uh, B&H, I guess, if you're in that area. I guess they buy and sell um, used That's gear. That's true. You, you could trade it in. Eh? Like a lot of camera shops will do that, but they'll, they'll, take, they'll take it. I mean, here's the thing, though. When they take it, they'll take it for a much lower value yeah. than what you could sell it's it like for. It's like trading privately. in a car. Cause, cause, well, yeah, because they're going to turn it around and then sell it yeah. as a used piece of equipment and they're going to make profit on that. Yeah. yeah. So that's always an option too. You could do like a trade-out program. Yeah. There was also, there's somebody else posted something called uh, uh, keh.com. K.com. Uh, it's a camera, used camera place. I haven't heard of that one before. And there was another yeah. service. I don't know if it's still around. It was called Gazelle. But it was more for trading in like electronic, like phones and iPads and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that still is around, but they, they, that was an, an option. But yeah, I, I agree kind of with Brian. I think the Facebook groups, that's where I've had most of my success is the buy and sell groups. And I know uh, in town here, one of the, there's a, a place that's, uh, they rent photography, there's a studio space for photographers. And once or twice a year, they have like a swap, a swap meet. Mm. And you can just show up there and people bring all their stuff and you can have kind of a buy and sell swap meet. So yeah, I'd say Facebook and just sort of connecting with your local photography community is probably your best bet for selling used gear. Sweet. Excellent. Well, hopefully that gives Akbar some places uh, to try. And if you, again, if you need some Pocket Wizard Plus 3s, Akbar has some to sell. <laughs> I'm selling a 5D Mark II with a battery grip, so if anybody needs that, if it's still available <laughs> by the time you hear this episode, um, hit me up. Um, and, of course, and I think as as a disclaimer, this is the last time that we're going to be talking about things. I don't, we don't want people, yeah. everyone emailing us saying, hey, can you guys yeah, mention I've a trade to turn it into the <laughs> Twip Weddings buy and sell show? Yeah, we have a little buy and sell section. It's a new yeah. new featured like, segment like in the, the, on shopping the Twip Wedding channel. Show. <laughs> Twip, Twip auctions. Twip auctions, yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, ooh, talk to Frederick. Maybe he'll set it up. Perfect. Of course, if you have a question, uh, we want to hear from you and answer your questions. So just head on over to thisweekinphoto.com. And uh, submit your question. Just click on the uh, the little link that says contact us and choose uh, weddings. And we will get that message. 
Okay, let's move on then to our picks of the week. Each episode, we are going to share a photography-related item that we think would benefit wedding photographers, and our picks can be anything as long as they're somehow related to photography or the business thereof. So, Brian, we kind of already know yours, but let's uh, give, give us a little more details on it. Ah, uh, the beautiful Fujifilm X-T2 camera that I finally have my hands on, which mm. I'm so excited. And I guess by the time this comes out, you know, listeners are probably like, this thing's been out for a month. It's, it's about? been replaced by the X-T3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously, right? Seems like how like some of the iPhone like, 7, all of a sudden yeah. the iPhone 10 is out. Yeah. I don't understand what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so no, the Fuji X-T2, um, it, it has blown away my expectations of the Fuji uh, X-T line of cameras. I shot with the X-T1 for about a year and a half. I've been shooting with the X-Pro2 for about six months now. Uh, I was actually the first photographer in North America to shoot a wedding on the X-Pro2, which is kind of fun. Cool. I got it like six months before they released it, so yeah. I got to kind of put it through the paces. Very cool. Um, what are some the of the XT2, highlights? Yeah, it's, it's, it's now gotten to a point where I can, I can comfortably say things like autofocus speed, um, things like, um, uh, like moving things around, like being able to react to things. I can now react to things with my X-T2 as quick as I was able to with my D4S. So moving focus points around, focusing, uh, startup time, like all things like that. It's just, it feels like a more responsive camera. Hmm. So I love it. The, I mean, the quality on it is amazing. It's the same sensor as was on the X-Pro2. So there's no surprises there. Fuji makes amazing sensors and they make amazing um, JPEG processing. So there's, there's nothing new there, but it's just, it's the body I've been waiting for. You know, it's got, it's got two card slots. So I love that for overflow, for shooting weddings. Um, the autofocus on it is stellar. The handling on it is stellar. It's got a great feel. I prefer it to the rangefinder style body that the X-Pro2 has. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, all around great camera. I love it. I'm, um, I'm nuking all my other Fuji stuff, my older bodies. That's why I said that like, I'm selling a few things and I'm just picking up or have picked up two X-T2 bodies. And those those are my my main bodies now to shoot with. I'm not going to go back and kind of use versions of everything. I'm just going to stick with those because I feel like they've finally gotten it. Yeah. And and yeah. now they have a medium format camera coming out, I see as well, oh. too, Fuji. So. Ah, damn, I should have had that as my, my yeah. pick. Well, I haven't tried it yet, so I can't really say it. Yeah, next time, make it oh your Oh, my week. gosh. Can, can, we, can, we just, can we just quickly, like, for a second, say, like, <laughs> if you haven't read about it yet, which hopefully at this point, because it had been a month ago that you're listening at this, like, go read about it. It just sounds phenomenal. For a wedding photographer, is it relevant? I don't really think so, and I can't really say for sure until I've tried it. Um, but... I'm pretty excited by what they're doing and how they're pushing the industry. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm less saying like, look at Fujifilm doing this thing and more so like, I think this is going to introduce a whole new breed of camera and this is going to open up the competition and it's basically going to force the competition, which has been stagnant for a while in that space to say, Hey, we, we better get our shit together. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm excited for what that's going to do in that space. Nice. Excellent. Yep. Mr. Evans, what is your pick of the week this week? So I'm going with something that I've had for quite a long time, and this might even be a pick that I've done before, but I, I was using it again this last weekend, the Lowell GL1 Power LED light. Um, and it's just such a, it's basically a gun light and, you know, using it to light detail. I, I use it to light detail at weddings. I did a styled shoot this last week, and uh, I use it to light some of the elements of that. And it's just such a handy little, you know, you don't have to drag around strobes and flashes because a lot of times I can use this in replacement of it. I mean, it depends on what you do, but 
I really, it's a great little product. Little expensive, but um, uh, it's really worth it. It's about $700, but uh, it's a really great light. It has a rheostat on it. You can raise it up and down. Uh, you can focus the light. You can throw a big beam, a wide beam, excuse me, or, or shoot a tight beam. It's just a really versatile light. So yeah, just Google it. The, you know, we'll put it in the show notes, but it's the Lowell GL1 Power LED. Yeah, that's great to have something like that, like sort of a constant dimmable, uh, adjustable light source with you. Because, it, you know, again, if you're in a situation where maybe the light is not uh, ideal or you're in a kind of crappy location, and you need to augment the light that's there. That's a great, you know, great thing to just sort of have in your kit. It's light, it's portable. Like I say, you know, it's not a lot of yeah. setup. It's just boom, you can turn it on. And I've used it at weddings to backlight my couple on the dance floor or to spotlight them on the dance floor if the lighting's really bad in the reception. Yep. If you find yourself shooting at night, which we do a lot of times in a hotel and you just have ambient light, well, now you can, you know, match that light and, you know, shoot them right in the hotel and spotlight them. It looks great. Uh, it has threads on the front of it, so you can put a daylight filter on it as well and, you know, use it outside if you want to use a little fill light. I mean, it's just a little great little product. Yeah, they're cool. I saw them at, uh, had a chance to look at them at the WPPI in the, in the trade show there. So they looked, looked pretty cool. I have something, I have the ice light, so it's similar kind of constant yeah. light source. Um, so yeah, definitely good to have. Well, my pick this week is actually a another podcast. So again, if you're listening to this, obviously you like podcasts and uh, the folks over at Buffer, uh, that's an app for doing like your social media scheduling uh, posts. They've started a, a new podcast and it's called the Science of Social Media Podcast. So if you're interested in learning more uh, about social media, we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but they really kind of dig into it. Um, and uh, so I've listened to a couple episodes so far and it's really, really good. So if you're interested in learning more about social media and doing kind of a, dig a deeper dive into that, uh, the folks over at Buffer have that podcast. So the science yes. of social media. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of TWIP Weddings. We want to thank Fresh Books uh, for their support of TWIP Weddings. Uh, Brian had to duck out, but uh, we'll put links to all of his uh, profiles and whatnot in the show notes. If you're looking for Brian, of course, uh, you can find him. He's he always usually hanging out over at uh, Sprouting Photographer or check out his product Sprout Studio. Uh, of course, we want to remind you, send in your questions for the show and, you know, leave your thoughts by commenting on the blog post for this episode. So, Mr. Evans, where can people find you if they want to? What have you got going on projects and things coming up in the next little yeah, while? Yeah, it's still busy through the fall. A couple, three, four more weddings through November till the end of November and some portraits and still a little bit of travel. Um, going to Chicago to speak on a panel at a PDN thing at... Um, I think it's Columbia College. Okay. Call it. And, you know, but by the time you hear this, I will have done it. But uh, so, yeah, if, but if you're looking for me, you want to find out more, look at my work, stalk me online. Uh, my website is robertevans.com. Instagram is at robertevans.com. Of course, I will interact with you on our Facebook page. Uh, and then my company Facebook page is Robert Evans Studios. And and you guys, be sure to, if you love our podcast, tell your photographer friends, spread the word, get him to join our Facebook group. It's, we get, people are joining by the day now. So every day I'm approving somebody. So get in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we're starting to build a great little community there and I see lots more kind of discussion happening and questions. So that's a, a great place for sure. So 
Excellent. Well, if you are looking for me in terms of what I've got going on, um, I'm actually going to be leading a, a workshop next April. So my friend Darlene Hildebrandt, um, who's from digitalphotomentor.com. Uh, and you've probably, if you listen to TWIP at all, you've probably heard Darlene on, on there. Um, she's also the editor-in-chief for uh, DPS. Uh, she uh, leads these workshops. She does a lot of travel workshops and she does one in Drumheller, Alberta, which is kind of the badlands of Alberta. It's uh, where they found a lot of the dinosaurs. It's a really cool area. It's uh, it's very cool to go from kind of prairie flatland and then all of a sudden you're in these like beautiful kind of valleys and there's hoodoos and all this kind of stuff. So last year I accompanied her uh, and helped her with her weekend photography workshop. And this year she she's going to be in Morocco at the same time. So I'm going to actually be leading that workshop uh, in Drumheller. So it's uh, April 20. 20- first to the 23rd nice. um, and we're going to go out. It'll be pretty cool. We're going to do some night photography. We're going to do some sunrise stuff. Um, I'll probably bring some off camera flash. We're going to, we go to a ghost town. We photograph some hoodoos. We go to a coal mine um, and there's a real live coal miner that we use to do some portrait work. Um, so it's pretty cool. So it's a fun, uh, fun weekend. It's, it's busy weekend, but uh, so if you're interested in checking that out, I'll put a link to that workshop, uh, but you can head on over to digitalphotomentor.com uh, slash workshops. Uh, and it's the Drumheller workshops. So if you're interested in joining me, I'll be there. But if you want to find me online, you can uh, visit my website at momentsindigital.com or I'm at Bruce Clark uh, with an E at the end of Clark on most of the usual social networks. And that brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, Be sure to visit our website at thisweekinphoto.com for this show and all the other great shows on the TWIP network. And thanks again for listening to TWIP Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. (laughs) 